Welcome to the City on a Hill podcast. We are a Catholic young adult ministry located in Kansas City with a mission to be the community that inspires and forms our generation to be saints. Father Mattingly, director and chaplain of City on a Hill, is also an associate pastor at a local parish. Listen in to a recent Sunday homily of his and let it build you up in your pursuit of sainthood. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of City on a Hill. Our Gospel today comes from the 15th chapter of St. John, the vine and the branches. Uh, this happens to be my favorite chapter in the whole Bible, and my favorite book in the whole Bible. And within this chapter, the specific passage that we have in our Gospel today also has my favorite verse <laughs> in the whole Bible. So it's going to be hard to sort of live up to my own expectations of this particular passage. And if you've never if you've never really meditated with this passage in particular, um, I cannot recommend it enough. That we're in the context of, of Jesus on Holy Thursday night with his apostles. And so he's giving them all these things for them to, to meditate on before he goes off to his passion and death. And everything in these chapters from St. John 13 to 17, all this, all this stuff that he tells his apostles on Holy Thursday night is just is just extremely rich. So if you've never meditated on John 15, um, I, I cannot recommend it enough. And I just want to draw sort of four things from this passage in particular. The first is that this image of the vine and the branches or, or a vineyard is not new. It, it appears many, many times in the Old Testament. And usually when we see it in the Old Testament, it's referencing it's used as an analogy or an image to say that God very tenderly and carefully has, has planted a vineyard, which is his chosen people, Israel. Right? We see this in a special way in Isaiah chapter 5, which is another one of my favorite passages in the Bible. So I'm just going to read for you a short section of that to give you a taste of this image of, of the Lord's vineyard being used in the Old Testament. Let me, let me sing for my beloved, in other words, for the Lord. Let me sing for my beloved a love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. This gives us a, a simple glimpse at the, the care and tenderness and love with which the Lord forms his people, Israel. But then when we get into John chapter 15 in the gospel today, where our, our Lord uses this image of the vine and the branches, he raises it to a completely new level. Because not only now is God sort of planting a vineyard from afar, from a distance, but he actually comes down into the vineyard and becomes a vine in that vineyard. This is the incarnation. God coming down to become one of us, to become a vine among his people, if you will, and then we get grafted onto him. Right? The, the union now that is possible in the new covenant with God surpasses to an unthinkable degree the union that his people Israel were able to have with him in the old covenant. Right? In baptism, the union that we are brought into with Jesus Christ 
is something beyond our wildest possible dreams. Right? God comes down into the vineyard, becomes divine, and then grafts us onto himself. This, this deep intimacy and union with Jesus Christ is the, is the first thing to draw out from the gospel today. The second thing I want to mention is that Jesus points out two sort of necessary consequences from being united to him in this way. He says, if, if you're united to me in this vine, if you're a branch from the vine, you have to do two things. He says, you have to abide or remain in me, and you have to bear fruit. You have to abide or remain in me and bear fruit. Um, the first of those, to abide in the Lord, to abide in the Lord. There, this basically covers the whole Christian life. So there's a, there's a lot of things that could be covered here to sort of illustrate what it, what it means practically to remain and to abide in the Lord. But three of them that I want to point out to you in a special way. The first, which we see in our second reading, is that it's only possible to abide and to remain in Jesus if we follow His commandments. Right? In our second reading we hear, those who keep His commandments remain in Him and He in them. Those who keep His commandments remain in Him and He in them. This is the moral life. This is the moral life. We have to remain free of mortal sin to remain grafted onto the vine. Right? We have to maintain a state of sanctifying grace, as we call it, to remain united with Jesus Christ. This is the moral life. A second area that we can look at in order to talk about abiding and remaining in Christ is the sacraments. Right? Frequent reception of the sacraments, most especially in this regard, would be Holy Communion. Right? Because we're not just meant to sort of stay in this sort of stable, kind of, might even use the word stagnant. You know, if we're in a state of grace, that's great. But that can always be intensified. Right? The Lord wants the state of grace that we're in to blossom and flower and blow up into this big fireball of love. Right? He doesn't want it to just stay the same. And so the most powerful means to intensify the union with Christ that we have when we're in a state of sanctifying grace is receiving Holy Communion with love. Frequent reception of Holy Communion to intensify our union with Him, to enable us to continue abiding and remaining with Him. So we have the moral life, frequent sacraments, and then the third thing I would point out, and again, there are many other things we could talk about in reference to abiding in the Lord. The third thing I would just say is, is very simply prayer. Right? We, we cannot, it is impossible to abide in the Lord without a, a consistent daily prayer life. Um, a couple examples that I, I may have used before, but I, I find these stories very helpful. Some of you may know that Mother Teresa during her life, whenever she would encounter a priest, she would often ask him, he'd say, Father, have you, have you made your holy hour today? She just sort of presumed that if you're a priest, of course you're going to spend at least an hour in prayer with the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. Like what, else, what else are you going to be doing with your time, right? Like, you're a priest. And so she would always ask priests that, Father, have you made your, your holy hour yet today? And if they, if they said, ah, like, it's been a really busy day, Mother, like, I, I just... I didn't make time for it, didn't get around to it. She was like, oh, okay, well, if you're that busy, you should probably make two holy hours, <laughs> right? And, and of course, when you, get, when you get that kind of like jab from a, 
four foot ten, you know, saint, it, it probably sinks in pretty deep, but I imagine most of those priests the next day, they, they made their way to the nearest chapel and, and, and made their holy hour. So um, there's another example from the life of uh, Pope Benedict, actually, but before he was Pope, when he was head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, which is the most important office in the Vatican, uh, he would be in charge of hiring priests to come on into new positions in the office. Um, sometimes he would hire them himself, he would interview them himself, sometimes he would even delegate that to, to others who worked in the office. But whether he himself was doing the interview or he delegated it to someone, he always made sure, first of all, to ask them about their daily prayer life. And he would just tell them straight up to their face before they proceeded any further with the interview. He said, do you have a daily prayer life? Like, do you spend time with the Lord? Because if not, I have no use for you. <laughs> I have no use for you. You can be the most brilliant theologian in the world. You can tell them, I don't care. <laughs> if, if you don't spend time with the Lord every day, I have, you will not benefit us at all. Right? Ab abiding in Jesus in daily prayer. I think Father Johnson and I probably meant to bring this up at some point at least once a month. I feel like in, in homilies, but if, if you don't currently make at least 15 minutes of silence every day to just talk to Jesus, start yesterday, <laughs> right? Start yesterday, at, at least 15 minutes. Even those of you with the, the most wild and crazy family lives, which I've been to some of your houses, seen it. Um, you live it every day. Even some of those, those of you with the, with the wildest and craziest possibly possible family situations, everyone can make 15 minutes a day. If you're, if you're a husband, protect the 15 minutes of your wife. Protect that with everything you've got. Wives, protect 15 minutes for your husband. God willing, you, you can do 20 or 30 minutes. It's not about, it's not of course about quantity, it's just Usually with our weakness, it takes a while to sort of get into prayer after we've been sort of busy all day. But protect that for each other if you don't do it together, right? If you're not able to do it together, just protect it for each other. It's critical. It's so, 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 so critical. Abiding in Christ means following His commandments, frequent sacraments, daily prayer. The third thing I want to mention is, is that we have to bear fruit. So Christ says that, you know, it, you know, if you want to bear fruit, you have to remain in me. So there's sort of this intimate connection between abiding in Christ and, and bearing fruit, right? For us to sort of imagine that we can possibly make a supernatural impact in somebody else's life without abiding in the Lord in those three ways that I just mentioned, we're deluding ourselves. It is impossible to give what you don't have. It's impossible to give what you don't have. I remember actually, when I was applying to seminary, I was, uh, was 19 years old, and I remember meeting with Bishop Finn at the time, and I was sort of like, I was pumped up. I, I The last couple years of high school, I had gone through this really intense personal conversion. I just wanted to tell everybody I met about Jesus. And I remember talking to the bishop, and he was talking about, oh, we'll probably send you to, you know, this seminary or that seminary. And um, I was, I was like, what it, like, wouldn't it be better if, like, you just sent me to some, like, local, local college so I could just, like, evangelize my classmates and stuff? Like, why, why am I going to go off to, like, this 
place in the middle of nowhere where like everybody else in my class already loves Jesus and like why not like stay here at UMKC or something and, and like make a really big impact for the kingdom of God. And he's like he's like, well, you know, you can't give what you don't have. <laughs> and I was a real blow real blow to my pride at the time, but obviously it, it's true. Like like we, we, we can't give something we don't have. If you're not abiding in Jesus you're not going to be able to bear any fruit in the world, right? It, this is an important thing for us to see. I would also want to point out the interplay of these two things, abiding in the Lord and bearing fruit, that if you see someone who from the outside maybe seems to have like a really robust prayer life, but when you talk to them, they, they very clearly have little to no desire to make Jesus known, and they're not really taking initiatives to do that, even in simple ways. Their prayer life is going to very much be, I would hesitate to call it a complete facade, but it, but it is kind of that. It's kind of that. You can't possibly have a real life of prayer without it eventually just naturally spilling over into a desire to make Jesus known to other people. And they feed each other. The more we take risks, in making the Lord known to others and bearing fruit, planting seeds, the more we're going to be drawn back to prayer, to that time of intimacy with Him. This is a very, very important thing for us to remember. And I would encourage you all, too, that in this bearing of fruit, don't, don't limit it to just certain kinds of conversations or certain kinds of interactions. You can bear fruit literally in every human interaction that you have. That should be a prayer that, that we make in the morning, like, Lord, help every single encounter I have, even if it's passing a stranger for like two seconds, help every human encounter I have to bear fruit, right? Not just long conversations about really deep topics, but help everything bear fruit. I was talking to a priest recently who he was telling me that in the past couple months he's had a lot more hospital visits than he normally has, and as he walks down like the extraordinarily long hallways in this hospital, um, you know, it's kind of awkward when you, when you see like one person walking towards you and there's still like 60 feet to go and you're just sort of like, look at them, then you look down and you look at them, you look inside and you like, you try not to weird them out by just sort of like <laughs> staring at their eyes for like 20 seconds. Um, but he was sort of saying that like, especially because, you know, he has to wear a mask in the hospital and everything that he sort of recognized that he'd never really taken advantage of those even passing encounters to try and plant a little seed. And so he started asking himself, he's like, what's the best possible greeting that I can use when I walk down this hospital hallway to just pass on a little, a little joy to this person? Is it, hey, what's up? Is it, hi, good morning, good afternoon? Like, what, what, what sort of, it sounds silly, like kind of asking that question, but th th these are the kinds of things that like a heart in love with Jesus cares about. It's like, Lord, I, I don't, I don't want to waste any human interaction that I have all day long. I want it all to bear fruit. Uh, these, are, these, are, these are things for us to ask ourselves. The last thing I want to mention very briefly, my favorite line in the whole Bible, John 15, 5. The Lord says, without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. He doesn't qualify that in any way. He literally means nothing. That's what he means. Like without God, you and I can do nothing. 
This is a much harder truth to really embed in, in our minds than, than we might think. We can do nothing without Him. You can't get up from your pew, you can't kneel down, you can't walk out of this church, you can't think a new thought, you can't formulate words, you can't breathe without God. Like, we can do nothing, nothing without Him. Zero. For us to remember our powerlessness and our littleness is absolutely critical. It's the only way that we're ever going to let, let the Lord be Lord of our life. And so if there's, if there's anything I, I would want to leave you with this morning, it's, it's especially that. To remember that, that, that we are nothing without the Lord. With the Lord, we are everything. We are divine royalty. We are sons and daughters of the Father. Go down the list. Without Him, nothing. With Him, everything. So, so make your life a life of, of total, total reliance on Jesus Christ. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the City on a Hill podcast. Please subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and leave a review so others will come across our content. If City on a Hill has been a gift to you, consider joining our mission by making a monthly gift. Learn more at kansascityonahill.org slash donate. Be your best and strive to be a saint.